That's my, look at this. Dang, embarrassing. All right. Hey, we seven years old now. We in this. We good? Yeah. Hey, this means that we know how to do a little bit of math and spell, right? Like, uh, we ain't peeing in the bed no more. Hallelujah. Okay. Uh, we didn't graduated from a, a Blue's Clues or Dora. We on that Power Rangers tip now, right? Or whatever seven-year-olds be watching these days. Uh, hey, it is really good, for real, to be celebrating with you on the birthday of the well. Um, God has done unbelievable work in this church and uh, through us as a people. And so I'm genuinely excited. God has been so faithful and so good to blessing us in so many really clear ways. Uh, it's just a beautiful thing. And so uh, I'm grateful for what God is doing and what he's been doing. Here's what I want to actually do today, okay? I want to look back a little bit at the prior seven years at the well and just very briefly give an overview of kind of where we've been, what God's been doing. Uh, I'm not going to go into this deep detail about that. If you want more information on that, First Steps is a great chance to do that, kind of hear our story. But I do want to highlight high level uh, where God has brought us from uh, and then kind of look forward into what God is calling us into in the future. Today, actually, we're starting a new sermon series that uh, is going to be a big o uh, overview of our mission and vision at large. We're going to actually complete completely break down each of our uh, mission statements and kind of align it with our vision and say, hey, who are we as a church? Where are we going? How are we going to get there? What does that look like? And so uh, what I'm hoping throughout this series is that we kind of get an identity of who we are and where God is calling us to, that we would create culture in a way that is really, really beautiful uh, at the church. And yeah, just that the name of Jesus would be exalted in and through us as we understand what God is calling us to more. Cool? So that's what I'm hoping to do today for the seven people who said cool with me, all right? You ready? If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Esther chapter uh, four is where we'll be at the main portion of the day, but we're going to start in chapter nine, all right? And so Esther chapter nine, you can turn there. Um, if you need a Bible, the ushers will actually be coming forward. If you just raise your hand, uh, they would love to give you one. Uh, hey, listen, if you don't own a Bible, I'd encourage you to raise your hand uh, and keep them up so they can see them, by the way. But uh, uh, raise your hand, take, keep that. That's our gift to you. We want you to have the word, be able to use it during the week. If after receiving the Bible, you're like, I want a nicer Bible. There's this new store called amazon.com. All right. So go ahead and hop on there and you can get yourself a Bible. All right. But we'd love for you to have it. You can also follow along on your phone. If you want, uh, the link is in your bulletin and, uh, instructions on the screen and stuff like that. So we'd love for you to have the word. Uh, here's why, even though we're talking about the vision of the well today, uh, that vision has to be rooted in the scriptures. If we try to go somewhere where God has not already commanded his people to go, then we're really building on shaky, unsolid foundation. But if we allow the word of God to shape us as we are led by the spirit and submitted to the word of God, then we'll uh, really begin to hopefully accomplish the things that God has called us to accomplish as a church. So even today, as we're doing a little bit uh, less direct exegesis, Jesus, a little bit more vision casting, it still needs to be deeply rooted. So we want your eyes on the word to be able to see it, that we submit to it as a people of God. Cool. Yeah. All right. So Esther chapter uh, nine is where we're going to begin. And uh, I'm going to begin reading uh, in verse 26. So Esther nine, beginning in verse 26, says this, therefore, they, the Jews, called these days Purim after the term Pur. 
Therefore, because of all that was written in the letter and of what they had faced in this matter and of what had happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them that without fail they would keep these two days according to what was written at the time appointed every year, that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation in every clan, province, and city, that these days of Purim should never fall into disunity use among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. Okay? So this book was written actually to explain why a certain holiday was practiced and observed, and it was really written to remember the events that occurred that actually led them into the celebrating of this holiday. So when we go back to the story, I want you to remember this story isn't being written in real time. It's actually somebody reflecting back and saying, because of these events, this This is what led to where we are today. And so as we are even celebrating our birthday, the reason I want to kind of start off looking backwards is that oftentimes looking at the history will actually correctly catapult you into the future. As you look at what God has already been doing, as you look at what he's already been uh, leading us into, then it's going to actually give us vision for where he's continuing to lead us. For if God is truly the one that is leading this church, if he is the one that is building the church, then it's his vision already anyway. And so we need to look at the works that he's done and say, okay, God, based off of that, where are you calling us to at large? And so that's literally what the Jews were doing with this letter of Esther, and it's given them reason for why they're celebrating. And so I want to even do that as a church as well, because, I mean, can we be real? Like, God's done phenomenal work here in this church, y'all. Like, phenomenal work. Listen, y'all, we started with 11 people, right? Those of you who came in after 11.15 today know that there were a lot more than 11 people in here, right? Like God has grown and multiplied this church in ways that are honestly astronomical. Y'all, we've seen over 100 people give their lives to Jesus at this church. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. Okay, look, y'all, uh, all right? Y'all gotta wake up a little bit, all right? Because this is good news, y'all. That's why we exist as a people of God, to see people giving their lives to Jesus, falling in love with him, knowing who he is. Within that, we've seen over 50 baptisms, so people not just professing faith in Christ, but literally falling in line with that as well. They're taking the next steps in their faith journey. We've seen so many leaders and elders that are developed here in this church. Listen, a lot of them aren't even serving in this church. They've actually moved cities or, or launched out into other places, but they're currently in some really beautiful leadership positions in other churches that God has used you, has used us to really be able to see. Like he's literally grown us up and used us even in our infancy, right? Like, like if you think about it, most infants, when they're really small, they feel useful like 3% of the times and just sanctifying like the other 97% of the times, right? And yet God, even in infancy, has used this church in some really clear and some really beautiful ways. I mean, we've overcome a ton of different obstacles as a church, like from meeting in the evenings in a very bad location to where you think it's hot in here, y'all, it was hot in there, all right? And like from being in that for a 
whole year to being extremely short-staffed at times. Like there have been times where we have been hundreds of people with me as the only full-time staff person on our team. Like we've went through seasons of having no money. We still ain't got no money. So we <laughs> working through that, right? Like seeing really difficult transitions of people that were leaders that have left for one reason or another, a lot of them being sent out in really beautiful ways. And God has helped us kind of overcome that. Tons of like spiritual warfare that he's both protected us from and delivered us uh, from as well. Like we've gone from having no worship leader, no shoot, no worship team at times to like a bomb team, right? Like if you were here in the old days, y'all remember that we'd be like, oh, you could play the guitar? Hey, you want to lead worship with us, right? Like it was that level, y'all, all right, for real. And God has like provided the whole time God has been protecting and the whole time God has been providing. Come on, y'all, right? Like this is good, good, good news. Look, we've sent two missionaries out or missionary teams out to Brazil and Barcelona, eight different couples that are out there. Uh, Listen, right now on our staff team, we have two full-time church planters at the exact same time. Like that's unreal, right? Like God is allowing us to do these really beautiful things. Look, the diversity that's in this room that is reflecting the kingdom of God is a beautiful testament to his power and his work here in us. Like, man, when we first planted, y'all, listen, we are in downtown East Austin, all right? When we very first planted, I remember somebody said to me, before we even launched, they said, why would you want to go to the part of the city where churches go to plant and then die? And I was like, that's why. Right? Like there was not a lot of gospel movement when we moved over here. In fact, the stat was that amongst the newer generation that there was uh, about 2 to 5% church in uh, the newer East Austin in a way. And we said, man, how in the world can we go in there and bring a gospel revival, gospel rejuvenation? Like that's what we want to do. Like do you know that 80% of churches, they uh, close their doors within the first five years of opening them? I heard y'all singing this morning. We ain't close to that, right? Like God is doing a powerful work, man. And so, so many awesome things. Like if my daughter by the age of seven accomplished the things that our church has accomplished, that's all I'd be doing is talking about how awesome my daughter is, right? So no pressure, Micaiah, okay? But um, man, there's just so many good things. And so I can't stress enough. There's so many stories, y'all, of God's goodness. There's so many amazing stories of God's faithfulness. And I think the Lord is just beginning with us as a church. I think that he's just starting with us in a really real way. In fact, I think he's calling us into a wildly exciting season, even right now. I looked back at the last vision series that we did, which was at the very beginning of 2018. At that time, we averaged about 180 people on a Sunday morning, okay? It was actually Josh Guerrero, who's about to plant from us soon. Uh, It was his very first Sunday on our staff team. We had four full-time staff team, and uh, man, it was just, it was really good, but uh, Uh, now we are uh, like well over 700 people on a Sunday morning, right? Like we have 10 full-time staff team or 10 staff team. Uh, We have uh, like 6.7 billion kids because y'all be tripping in this mug. All right. All right. Worshiping in those weird ways. All right. So like, listen, okay. 
And in that sermon, okay, what I said was, hey, listen, if vision is healthy, what happens is vision shifts. But if it's healthy, what it does is it grows. And so as God gives you the vision, I think what he often does is that it's almost like fog. You know, you can see a little bit in front of you. You can even see a little bit further ahead than that, but it's hard to see too far. But as God walks you down that path, he will grow your vision. Because I think that if God were to say to us as a church family or you as an individual, if he were to give you a vision for your life and what he's calling you in to do, and if he showed you the end result, I think that you would either be inflated with pride or discouraged in fear of how in the world can I accomplish that? And it would shrink us back from being able to be used by God. And so I think that he literally gives us these portions of vision so that we can continue to walk with this humility and dependence on him. And yet realizing that as we're walking in that, that vision grows more and more and more. You tracking with that? I think it's true as a church family. I think it's true in your individual life. And so I think that God is calling us into really exciting vision, that he's giving us this, uh, this picture of the future that I'm super excited about to lay out throughout this series at large. And uh, I, I've just, I've felt it, y'all. I feel it, right? Like, I know that feelings can be weary and all over the place, and, but I feel it. We've had so many visitors that have come in and that have literally prophesied over this church to say, God is doing something here that is astronomical. I don't know what it is, but there's something really beautiful happening here. That happens, honestly, y'all, almost weekly of people coming in that are guests and saying, man, God is at work here in really clear ways. We had a, a guest not too long ago from the Netherlands come in, and he, after just meeting with some of our people, said, listen, if you put your church in Europe, you'd be able to reach all of Europe right now. <laughs> I was like, dang, right? Listen, the reason he said that is he said, there are so many leaders in here who are passionate about Jesus, but it's hard for you to see when you're in the middle of it because you're just used to being around, like it is common to you in a way, right? But God has even uh, equipped and inserted so many different leaders in our church that I really think can make an unbelievable difference in this city of Austin that God has called us to. And so God is doing something in these really beautiful ways. And I think there's a reason that you you're here. If this is where God has called you to as a church or called you to in a city and you are a believer in Jesus, I think that he has you here for a specific purpose, for a specific reason. I think scripture clearly backs that up all throughout it, okay? And so I want to now look ahead and I want to go to Esther chapter 4. And in Esther chapter 4, I think we get a really, really cool uh, vision for where we are going in a lot of ways. Now, in irony, Esther 4 kind of starts off like a little bit like womp womp, okay? Because uh, we're picking it up right in the middle of some tumultuous times for the Jewish people. A little bit of context before we read. Haman was an enemy of the Jews, and he hated them. And he tricked the king in a way to sign this decree that would end up being for the slaughter of all the Jews. It usually, literally, uses the word slaughter in the Hebrew, not just that they would kill the Jews, that they would slaughter the Jews, okay? And so the king signed this decree. So now the Jewish people are freaking out in a way, but little do they know, Haman or the king, that Queen Esther is actually a Jew. In fact, Esther is her pagan name. Her real name is Hadassah. And so she is a Jewish person through and through. And her cousin, Mordecai, has heard about the plans that are going on, the decree that's been sent out. And he kind of goes to his cousin Esther and says, look, you got to do something about this, all right? And so that's the context of where we pick up today, Esther chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. It says, 
Hathach went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg of his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death except to the one that the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come to the king for these 30 days, okay? So we pick up on this story, and I think it's a truth for us that we need to hear, y'all. Listen, any true movement of God faces opposition, straight up, okay? Any true movement of God, it faces opposition. In fact, if you do not feel targets at your back and arrows at your head, it may be because you're not in the battlefield. And if you are in the battlefield and you're feeling that opposition come, oftentimes we think it's God's displeasure with us. It may not be God's displeasure of you and it may not be him kind of withholding from you. It may actually be a sign that you are exactly where you need to be. Sheep amongst wolves. As you push back darkness for the sake of the kingdom, opposition will rise up, y'all. And we see this in every single story in scripture. Any person that God has used, whether big or small, God has put them in a position where opposition rises up because listen, darkness tries to push back against you as you push it back. Like literally the enemy does not like you reaching into his kingdom and snatching people out of it. There is a real enemy and he hates you. Okay, he does not like you. He is not for you. He does not want to see any form of restoration, whether it be salvific in nature or justice in nature. He does not want to see the kingdom of heaven come down on earth as it is in heaven. He is not for you. He will fight back. But y'all, what is a snake to our God? Huh? right? Like what is a snake to our God? He's nothing compared to God. And so even though there's real opposition, look, God can overcome that easily. Now, real talk, maybe it's your own sin that has you feeling kind of weighty or beaten down. And and that is true. I don't want to belittle that. But man, maybe it's just because you are trying to be used by God and it may feel very, very small. It may not seem big, but the enemy wants to stop any small work in God. And so maybe that's why you're feeling this. Maybe you're walking in exactly what God's called you to and opposition is rising up. Listen, Matthew 16 verse 18 says that uh, the, the, the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God, right? The gates of hell won't prevail against it. God is for you. Do you know why they're called gates, by the way? Because gates are defensive, not offensive, all right? The kingdom of God is an attacking kingdom. It's a forward marching kingdom. It's a kingdom that goes to those gates and opens up the door and says, captives be free. In fact, it goes to those gates and it busts them down and it says, everybody run out of here, right? Like the light comes upon and as we push back, there may be opposition. There, but listen, God is more powerful, y'all. Come on, right? Come on. Like God is powerful. He wants to use you. Sin is deceptive. So let's put it to death and then be used by God, right? Let's continue to walk in what God's called us to. The enemy is real. He wants to prevent us. But I say it again. What is a sorry snake to a sovereign savior? 
God is ready, right? And we can walk into this knowing that he can use us. There will be opposition to the mission and vision that God has given. Listen, even for our church, so long Austin has been known as a city that is not very in love with Jesus, right? In fact, it's kind of been known as a city that you go to to kind of escape this Christian circle in a way. And there may be ill in the Christian circle that needs to be reformed. That's great. But in a lot of ways, this has been a haven to kind of escape Christianity. Now, there's been fragments here and there, right? But overall, it's felt empty at times that there's been this hostility toward Christianity. Gates, bust them down right? Like we can walk into what God is calling us into. I believe that God wants to redeem this city that Austin will actually be known as a Jesus-loving, disciple-making, mission-oriented, Christ-exalting city. I believe that God wants to do that here. I see it as I talk to other churches and other leaders and see who God is putting in the church or how he's called you into the city. I mean, he is implanting people that I believe he wants to use to make much of his name, y'all. Like, this is a beautiful thing, right? I believe that God wants to use us, and that's why maybe even we feel a little bit of that opposition at times. I'm going to get ghetto up in here, y'all, all right? I don't even care, right? And here's what I know, okay? I know that Austin is just a small, small fragment, right? Like, I know it's just a small fragment in what God is calling us to do. We will literally need every single church and every single Christian unified together for the sake of the gospel in order to make uh, God's name exalted the way I believe that he wants it to be exalted. I know that the well Austin is a small fragment of that, but you better believe I want to play our part in that. I want to play the part that God has called us to, and I believe that he's called us to something very purposeful. I believe that God is going to do something crazy, amazing things. Look, he's already doing amazing things, right? Like, we're out of space right now, okay? And within that, even that can at times feel like opposition, because I'm not sure if you checked Austin real estate recently, but we ain't got bread like that, right? (laughs) Like, and even us having to fight internally, that as we grow as a church, one of the visions that God gave us was that we would actually be a tight-knit family. How do you maintain this intimacy while growing nonetheless so that mission can continue to grow? That's why I love that on our birthday, we actually got to see three other community groups that are being launched out so that literally, I think in God's providence, as we are the biggest today that we've ever been, like today is our biggest day after the first gathering, second gathering, it's clear to see that on that same day, he would launch three different community groups so that we can maintain this intimacy. Sometimes the opposition isn't even from the enemy. Sometimes it's just because of even good things like growth, right? Like we can then allow that to reshift our mission or our focus and we lose this intimate family connection. Y'all, we got to fight against that opposition too, that we would maintain being a family together in these very clear ways on mission, multiplying, pushing back darkness, seeing what the city could be together. Simply put, uh, don't be surprised at potential struggles that come up as you go on mission with God, either collectively as a church or individually as a person. Esther feels it right away. There's opposition that rises up. Look, it's her life at risk, right? And so we keep going in verse 12. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Like, I don't really want to do it, right? Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do you think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews? For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Sheesh. 
Only family can talk to each other like that. You know what I mean, right? Like, but here's what I know, right? Like God's going to redeem this city. He's not done with this country despite all the drama this country is experiencing right now. He's rising up a generation that I think he wants to use to make much of his name in this city, in this place. And this is not hype talk, y'all. Like I see it as I see the people he's putting in here. And here's what this sentence is really saying. Here's what Mordecai is saying to Esther. It says that God's will is going to be accomplished, period. It's going to be accomplished. And listen, baby girl Esther, if it ain't through you, cool, right? But God's going to do it through somebody. That's what he says, right? God's will is going to be accomplished no matter what. It's just a matter of whether or not we will allow him to use us in the process. Will you allow him to use you in the process, friends? Will you raise your hand and say, here I am, send me, God. Here I am, right? Will we step into what he's calling us into as Christians, which, by the way, is always so much bigger than ourselves, y'all. He gives us the ability to do it. But remember, we can't even see the future. But even simple acts that we do for him, as we do those, man, they impact generations, y'all. The ripple effects of what we do, they literally echo throughout eternity in a way. And so as we step into what he's calling us into, will we raise our hand and say, hey, here I am, send me right? And that's what Esther is saying. Esther, or Mordecai saying to Esther, listen, if Esther said no here, I'm not going to step into God's will. That's cool. Deliverance would have come from somebody else. So this book would just be named Sarah or Shaniqua or something, right? <laughs> like that's what the book would have been named because God would have raised up somebody else to do his will. That's what Mordecai just said. And then Esther, she may have still been a believer, y'all. She may have still gotten into the kingdom of God. Even if she said no, she may still be walking in some sort of fellowship or intimacy with God, but she never would have put herself in a position to see God move in ways that were faith growing, she never would have put herself in a position to see God use her in these unreal ways that rooted her in the faith in these beautiful ways that propelled her toward the future, like Isaiah, like Jeremiah, like so many others. When we raise our hand, yes, there's opposition. And the opposition, by the way, y'all, sometimes is just our own expectations, right? Like sometimes you think that God's going to do something with you, and when he doesn't do it, you get mad because you put your expectation on him. What he may be calling you into, y'all, may not be what is in your mind, but as you are obedient to God, as you submit to his will, man, God wants to use you, family. God wants to use you. Listen, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared for you before, before time. Like he's prepared it for you from the past. If you are a believer in Jesus, there are good works laid out for you. God wants to use you and invite you into the kingdom. See, he didn't need Esther. He could have raised up somebody else, but he wanted to use Esther. He doesn't need you. He does not need me. He does not need the well. He could blow this junk up today and God's will would still be accomplished in Austin. But the question is, is that are we going to raise our hand when he says, I want to use you. I want to use you to make much of my name. I want to use you to see this vision happen in the city. Listen, man, the stories that God has given my wife and I just for saying yes to this church plant, they're unbelievable. Look, y'all, we have faced a lot of opposition and a lot of struggle and a lot of trial. And I'm telling you, just the people that have said, yes, I want to believe in Jesus and follow him, just the people who have surrendered their lives to Christ, that in and of itself is enough to overcome all the obstacles that we face. It makes it worth it. 
But that's not counting everything else that God has allowed us to see, like the literal healings that have happened in our church or the leaders that have been raised up or people that have come with church hurt and that now are falling in love with the bride of Christ again because of what he's doing. Like, man, God has done so many things. I wouldn't trade it for the world. And it's because God said, man, will you go? And man, because of my wife's godliness, she was like, yeah, Tori, come with me right? Like God was ready, okay? And so if someone comes to you today then and says, hey, what if you're in Austin for such a time as this? Would you be ready to go? If God said, what if you're in your workplace right now? Because God wants to use you to redeem it for his name. Like what if you're in your neighborhood? What if you're in this church? What if you're in the family you were born into because God wants to use it to make much of his name? If he was ready to call you out, even if the mission was hard, would you be ready to raise your hand, family of God? Would you be ready to go, right? Esther, that's what Mordecai is charging her with. And listen, if it ain't you, it'll be somebody else, he says. But God wants to use Esther. And so here's her response, verse 15. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. <laughs> Esther was like, yeah, you're right. That's that response, right? Okay. But she was also clearly a God-fearing woman. Like she knew that Mordecai was possibly sending her on a suicide mission for her people. And she said, if I die, I die. Let's do it. Right? She was responded to the call of God. Now, listen, we could make this G-rated, right? And kind of act like Esther was just like, oh, most precious heavenly father, Right? Like, I just submit to your wise plan always, okay? I don't think that that's how she felt immediately. You see her hesitation, actually, right? Like, Mordecai has to kind of move her into this. She probably had prayer times like, God, what are you doing? I didn't want to be up in this palace in the first place, right? And now you have me doing this? You know what? Did you hear what happened to the last queen who went to the king, right? Do you remember how she got killed, God? Okay, I'm going to do this, Lord, but when, when this king kills me and I go and see you face to face, I want a rosé waiting for me, <laughs> right? Um, I, I think she had some hard times of prayer, right? Or maybe, maybe her prayer looked a lot more like, God, will you please just change his heart? I mean, haven't you prayed stuff like that? Yeah. God, will, will you please just, I, I'm scared I don't want to do this. Will you just change his heart, All right? But God didn't want to just change his heart. He wanted to use her to do it. See, because while God is sovereign and he can do whatever he wants to do, he always invites us into his plan with him because as he invites us into his plan, it is for your joy and your growth and his glory, y'all. Like he could have just changed the king's heart. He's done that in the past to other kings, but he wanted to use Esther to expand her faith that she may receive joy for being directly in the plan of God and being used by God to bring deliverance to her people. Listen, God can do whatever he wants to do without us, but he invites us in, family. He invites us into what he's uh, uh, doing. Simply put, he wants to use you. Simply put, he wants to use you for the kingdom, right? And look at, she believed, and she had no idea the story she was about to be a part of, by the way, 
right? Like she had no idea that her deliverance would end up bringing forth the Messiah one day that would deliver all of us. You're sitting in here because of Esther's faithfulness. She had no idea. That's not what she was thinking about. All she was thinking about was like, man, I might die in this mug, right? But God was using her willingness to do something really, really beautiful. And this is what happens. Even the smallest things in the kingdom make the biggest impact at times as we're willing to be used by God. What is God calling us into? Like there are people who have served this church in monumental ways who have never stepped foot on this stage, who you are sitting here today able to worship Jesus or able to take communion or having the community that you have because of their sacrifice and you won't even ever know it. Like they've sacrificed in so many ways to make what is possible today possible. But listen, one day those deeds that they did privately, man, they will be publicly acknowledged by our king because there are no unseen acts in the kingdom of God, family. Every single thing that God is doing, man, he sees it and will reward it one day. And I want to be a part of that, to step into that. Now, let's be real, like Esther's seeking the face of God and her people respond. She calls them to fast, boom, they go and they fast because, let's be real, their lives were at stake, right? And so, man, even as we begin to seek the face of God, we may not necessarily feel like our lives are at stake, but listen, y'all, other people's lives are at stake. There are people who do not know Jesus right now who desperately need a home. Their life is at stake. Will you fast and pray? Will you seek the face of God on behalf of them just as Esther did? Like Mordecai's right. Like her life may not have been at stake. He may have been like, oh, you a Jew? Well, everybody but you, right? Like I won't kill you. Who knows? But Esther fasted. She sought God on behalf of her people. There are believers right now in the city who don't have a family. There are lost people who need a savior. There's hope to be dealt by us. And so here's what I know. Like God could possibly be calling us as a church into a difficult season. like even just based on the very practical needs that we have, right? Like just very practically, like we deeply, 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 deeply need a building, (laughs) right? Like, or something. And we'll talk about that a little bit more at our covenant community member business meeting, all right? But even until then, we got to find out something to do. Like, do we do three gatherings? Do we like say 50 more people, you have to go with Josh or you can't come anymore, right? (laughs) Like, is there, what is going on, right? Like, listen, literally I looked about a year ago, there were about uh, 80 different buildings that were ready to be leased or bought in East Austin. Today, there's like 11. That's crazy, right? Man, what's opposition to our God though? In fact, there's one building that stayed open this whole time that I have this hunch of like, maybe that's where God wants us to go. I'll save that for the business meeting though, okay? All right? But listen, we've already faced this uh, opposition before. In fact, when we first planted the church, I went to my church plant pastor and he had this huge map of the city of Austin and there were no uh, like landmarks or anything on it. It was just street names. And so he said, hey, I want you to take this pin, this little thumbtack, and I want you to put it where you believe that God is calling you to plant this church. So we prayed about it some, and I just looked, and I just put this thumbtack in. You know where the thumbtack was? Across the street from Campbell Elementary. Like, kind of where the Solo Community Group meets right now, which is like its own church in and of itself, right? Like, and so, but, so he said, okay, now go over there and pray over it. And so we went, and we prayed over it, and we were like, oh, wow, there's a school right here. That's pretty cool. Let's go see if the school would let us meet in here. And they were like, no, we don't let churches meet in this space. You'll never be able to meet in here. We're like, okay, cool, (laughs) plan B, right? And so we literally called, I'm not joking, 72 different uh, businesses or schools or other churches and said, hey, can we rent your space? And we got 72 rejections. 
Like, talk about discouraging, y'all, right? And so we were three weeks out from launching as a core team. We had grown from 11 people to about 22 at the time, and we couldn't meet in our living room. If y'all think it's packed in here and hot in here today, join our living room back then. It was hot, y'all. There was this little ceiling fan that was like, and so it was like annoying and hot, okay? And so this is where we were, and we were like, man, we just got to push back the launch. Like, I don't know what we're going to do, right? And then Greater Mount Zion called us, a church here in East Austin, and they said, hey, I heard y'all were looking for a space. We're like, well, yeah, we are. And they said, well, hey, you can use our space. I'm like, oh, man, that's so generous. But your space sits like 800 people. We're going to have like 30. And so this is going to be real awkward, right? He was like, no, 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 we have, we have this other location that you can use. It'll have to be at nights, right? It's not a very good spot, but you can use it. And you know what? We'll actually give it to you at least for this next year for free. We were like, hey, <laughs> right? Praise dance, okay? Like, listen, like God provided then, so I believe God's going to provide now. Because, by the way, guess where we're meeting today? Campbell Elementary, where they said we couldn't meet anymore, yes. right? Because God provided, right? God provided. He opens up space where he wants his will to be accomplished. It happens. There's nothing that stands against that. Not just space, though. That's not the only opposition that we have. Like, man, maybe you're in here today because you just got dough like that and you want to help us, man bless you. Please talk to me afterwards. I'll buy you lunch or whatever, okay? But that's not the only problem we have. There's so many other things, right? Even oppositions that we wouldn't call opposition. Like, we desperately are trying to create some leadership development pipeline material so that we can each kind of take our next step spiritually in what God has called us into. Like, right now, we're working hard on developing a bunch of that. We're implementing this missions pipeline because we are serious when we say we want to see 100 people overseas within the first 50 years that are focused on church planting, reaching unreached people groups. We want to send them. And so we want to create a pipeline to allow that to happen. Like with Josh, we would love to have another church planter in the wings, ready to be planted before Juhan goes and plants a church, just like Juhan was with Josh, that we'd continue to see this church planting cycle happen. We're hoping to start up a college ministry that looks a little bit different than all the other ministries on campus right now, that really reflects even our diversity and reaching the, the diverse group of UTP people, that we would see leaders developed out of there because we know good and dang well that the next batch of missionaries and church planners and our staff team members are at UT right now, right? We want to see that reach. We long to be a more diverse church here, even in this part. We want to pray toward that end and even work toward that end. Look, our biggest hope, y'all, is that as we grow as a church, we would not grow less in love with Jesus. That's an obstacle that faces many churches, that as they grow, the mission becomes more important than the Savior, and they begin to fall more in love with what God is calling them to than with God himself, and God forbid that that ever be us. Like, I want him to kill us before that happens, right? You're all like, don't be praying that over me, right? I'll pray it over me then, okay? Like, I would love to be a church that's categorized as being radically on fire for Jesus. And as we grow, that fire only grows that much more that we encourage each other in that. And so here's what I would love for you to pray through. We're going to, throughout this sermon series, we're going to lay out some of the things we feel like God has called us to as a church. Man, any of those things that I just mentioned or anything God is putting on your heart, will you just pray to that end? Like, will you pray for the church? I ain't going to call you to fast yet, all right? Covenant community, though, at the business meeting, beware, okay? You're all like, I ain't going to that, right? But man, I would love for you just to pray to that, right? Pray that God would move as he always has in this church. Because listen, for all those things mentioned or whatever else God lays on your heart, here's what I know is the reality and the truth. You don't have to turn here. Psalm 121, verse 1. 
It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. (laughs) Man, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Listen, all of this is for nothing if God isn't actually moving. We can toil and work and strive and labor and lay down our lives. And if God himself is not moving, that is all vanity. But I believe that God is moving in this church and in this city. It's not just this church. It's the movement of God right now with this new generation coming up. And so I'm not even trying to pitch the well today. I'm saying, hey, get involved in some gospel preaching, Christ-centered church, and give yourself there for the kingdom of God. Begin to be used by God. Raise your hand wherever that might be, that God's name would be exalted in this city because we need everybody rising up and playing their part to see God glorified here. He wants to use you, family. But I believe that, man, if we're just running around and we're not seeking God, it's all vanity. And so I would love for us to be prayerful in seeking God's face. Man, what are you doing? Where are you leading us? How can I be involved in this? Like, what if you are in Austin, Texas for such a time as this? What if this is why God moved your job here or called you to come to college here without you even realizing it was his calling? All right. What if this is the reason that, you know, the doors might have opened up, whatever it may be like, like, what if this is true for you? I mean, as you raise your hand, that is your blessing, right? I believe that's why we have so many leaders and ministries and ministers, even in our church right now, because God is doing something. I think he wants to use us here in downtown central Austin and God is worthy to give our everything to as well. Y'all more than all else, God is worthy because he saved us and brought us into the kingdom. He escaped us from the dominion of darkness and brought you into the dominion of light family. Amen. Amen. Like, listen, even in this story, can't you see the beauty and the goodness and the faithfulness of God here? Even in the foreshadowing of Jesus that we see, we see why God is worthy to give our life to. You see, Esther was ready to die to deliver her people. But do you realize that it was only when she decided to associate herself with her people that she could offer that deliverance? And as she associated with her people, she got to go before the king and she got to request on behalf of her people before the king to deliver them from destruction and death. However, the king actually did end up holding out the golden scepter and Esther was saved and she was spared. That's why Jesus is the greater Esther, y'all. You see, Jesus was also reigning in the kingdom somewhere distant from us. But as he saw his people hurting and heard their cries, listen, Jesus himself so identified with you that he became a man like you. Jesus literally left the throne and he fasted, not just from food, but from glory itself. And he came down to live on this earth. And he went and he stood before the king of all kings and he asked for deliverance for his people, but that king did not hold out the golden scepter to Jesus. You see, Jesus died. Why? Jesus died because that should have been all of us, family. That should have been Esther herself and all of us that we deserve death because of our sin, our separation from God. But Jesus went and died on our behalf so that he can deliver Esther and so that he can deliver you and then use us for his glory. Y'all, Jesus is worthy, y'all. He's so worthy. God is worthy of our praise, of our affection, of our time. And so we are not doing this just to run or just to to feel like we're important. No, no, no. We're doing this because of the worthiness of Christ, y'all. He's worthy. Do you believe that? Do you see the beauty of Jesus? What is he calling you into? Man, it may feel small right now. It's okay. Like, that's a really good thing. There are no small acts in the kingdom of God. But are you going to walk in as he raises the, the, opens the gate and says, hey, who's going to go for me? Will you raise your hand? 
I pray that we would be a church that raises our hand and says, God, we're ready to go in what you call us into. We want to walk into the mission that you have before us. Listen, collectively, we can be a part of something so much bigger than ourselves, y'all. Just as Esther was here, listen, it wasn't just her. It was all the Jews fasting for her and Mordecai's encouragement and the, the messenger Hathath that was going back and forth, probably annoyed, right? Like it was all of them interacting to see the kingdom of God expand. I mean, it will be all of us interacting as we put our talents, our time, our treasures, our purposes, our wills aligned to make much of Jesus that we'll see him be glorified in beautiful ways. And as you raise your hand, your faith will grow in unbelievable ways. That's what I long for all of us. That's what I long for us as a church. And so I pray that throughout this series, as the vision unfolds, that we begin to see where God may even be calling us to step into that. Amen? I love you guys so wildly crazy. Let's pray. God, thank you that we can serve not out of obligation, out of conviction, though, out of love for you. You lay down your life for our sake. I mean, seven years is nothing. I'm so excited for the next seven. God, one week. That's all it needs. You can, you can multiply so much just by us giving just a little. So I pray, God, that we would open up our hands and say, God, will you use me? We know that we are nothing without you. God, I am nothing without you. You are our everything, Jesus, my everything. So God, I pray that we would run for the sake of the kingdom. And then as we're running, that we would learn to rest that much more in you. And that we would run and rest and run and rest. And that rhythm would continue to happen until you come back and deliver us, Jesus. God, we want your name to be exalted. I pray blessing over these men and women that they would fall desperately in love with you, our King Jesus. And as they fall in love with you, they would be used by you in such beautiful ways for your glory. We love you, Christ. We thank you for calling us into the kingdom. Would you help us to be faithful in whatever you call us to next? Praise in your beautiful name. Amen.